If somebody says to two people who he thinks are able to testify on his behalf, I demand a shavua from you two. And he mentions their names. That if you know testimony on my behalf and you are really witnesses for me, that you come and testify on my behalf. And they reply, we make a shavua that we do not know any testimony for you, and we are not really witnesses. But in reality, they do know testimony regarding him. However, they themselves are not actually a valid witness, because either they know it a witness from the mouth of a different witness, meaning somebody who did witness it, told them exactly what happened, but they themselves didn't actually see it. Or if one of the two witnesses was related to the person who they were testifying for, or to the other party involved in the case, or if he was an invalid witness for a different reason, since even if he would have testified, that wouldn't have helped the person to collect the money which he needs. The rule is, as we have seen, in such a case, one would not be liable for Shavuah Sa'idus, and therefore Haidah they would be exempt. Now, we've already seen a number of times throughout this Perek, this rule that only if, by giving testimony, the person would be able to collect money as a result of that testimony, only then, by not giving the testimony, one is liable for Shavuah Sa'idus. What is this mission coming to add? One answer given is that it's including a case where, let's say, Ruvain was claiming money from Shimon, and Ruvain was the one who asked these two people to testify for him. And Shimon said that even though, according to the strict letter of the law, these people are invalid witnesses, I'm happy, since it's a monetary case, he's able to do this, and he says that I'm happy to accept even these witnesses. So now, the basin would accept the witnesses. So by making their false claim, they are causing him not to be able to collect his money. Even in this case, says the Mishnah, they'll be exempt since at the end of the day, according to the strict letter of the law, they are not fit to give testimony. Mishnah Yud Beis, if somebody sends a message with his servant to the two witnesses, or the person who is being claimed against, so in the previous example, Shimon, Ruhm was trying to claim that Shimon owes him money. If Shimon says to the two witnesses, I demand that you make a shavua, that if you know testimony on behalf of Ruvain, that you should come and give testimony on his behalf. The two witnesses would be exempt, meaning even if they make the false claim again, they would be exempt in terms of the laws of shavua, unless they hear the demand for the shavua from the mouth of the person trying to collect the money, i.e. Ruvain. The Pasuk says, If somebody will not give testimony, then he will bear his sin. And the way that the word loy in the Pasuk is spelt, even though in general the word loy is spelled Lamad Aleph, over here it is spelt Lamad Vov Aleph. So that word is interpreted as if it's made up of two words, loy loy. Loy as in Lamad Vov, and then loy Lamad Aleph. So now we read the Pasuk, Im loy yagid, as if it said, Im loy loy yagid. If to him he doesn't tell, he doesn't give the testimony. So we see from there that he has to give the testimony on behalf of Ruvain as a result of Ruvain demanding that he give testimony for him as opposed to Shimon or even Ruvain's messenger. Now the truth is, the reason why the Mishnah talks about him sending his servant and not just sending a regular messenger is because in general if he sends a messenger, then it would be valid. He's able to send somebody else to demand a Shavua on his behalf. There's a concept of shlichus of making a messenger in place of oneself. 
However, if it's his servant, we're talking about a non-Jewish servant, he is not able to become a messenger. And that's why if he sends his servant, it would not be a valid Shavuos meaning it wouldn't be a Shavuos which would make the witnesses liable to bring a Korban Oliviyot. Mishnah Yud-Gibbal. This Mishnah discusses all of the different la- types of language and terms and expressions which might be used in the oath in, of the Shavuos or in the demand for the oath. And the Mishnah says, If Ruvain tells the witnesses, I demand a Shavuah from you, that's the classic way that he would demand the Shavuah. That has been the wording of the Mishnahis until now. Or if he says, I command you to make a Shavuah. This comes from the word, To be Osr means to be tied up, to be bound to something. So he says, I'm sort of tying you up to a Shavuah. I'm making you obligated to make a Shavuah. All of these are considered to be valid ways of demanding a Shavuah, and if the witness makes his false claim again, he would be liable for having made a Shavuah Sa'idus. Now, the whole concept of a Shavuah is essentially, the idea is referring to Hashem. The reason why making a false Shavuah is so severe is because the idea of the Shavuah is swearing by Hashem's name. Even if Hashem's name is not necessarily mentioned, that is, that is essentially what lies beneath his words, that he's sort of saying, just like Hashem, Hashem's existence is totally true and absolute, so too the statement which I'm making is absolutely true. Now, even if Hashem's name is not necessarily mentioned explicitly, that's the idea of a Shavuah. But what happens if somebody mentions a... He refers to Hashem within his Shavuah, but in a very cryptic way. If he doesn't refer to Hashem, so we understand that he's making a regular Shavuah. And the concept concept of a regular Shavuah is by making the Shavuah, comparing it to Hashem. The Shavuah is by Hashem's name. But if he specifies Hashem's name, then he needs to specify it correctly. So if he says, I demand that you make a Shavuah by heaven and earth that you are not witnesses. They would be exempt, because even if he's referring to the one who is the master and the creator of the heaven and earth, he didn't say that explicitly, and the simple translation of what he said is not referring to Hashem. On the other hand, if he says, he uses the name of Hashem, which begins and then Nun and Yud, or uses the name of Hashem, the four-letter name, which we don't pronounce. These are all different ways to refer to Hashem. And now the Mishnah adds a few onto the list, where they're not necessarily names for Hashem, but Hashem is described by these attributes. The gracious one, the merciful one, the one who is slow to anger, the one who has a lot of kindness, and if he uses any other name to refer to Hashem, in all these cases, the witnesses would be liable for their Shavuah Sa'edus. Now, whilst we're on the topic of mentioning Hashem's name, the Mishnah says, I'm a kalel b'chulon, one who curses Hashem. He curses one of Hashem's names. So if he uses any of these names, even if it's, even if it's not Hashem's actual name, but it's one of the ways to refer to Hashem, and he says that it should be cursed, chayev, he is liable to the death penalty of Skila. That's the punishment for such a thing to Rabbi Meir. That is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. They hold that when it comes to that punishment of Skila, it's only given if he uses one of Hashem's actual names and not just a way to refer to Hashem. And they argue on how to interpret the Pesukim. One who curses his father or mother with any of these names, even if it's one of the names which is just referring to Hashem, he'll be liable again to Skila. 
He'll be stoned. That is the death penalty given to somebody who curses his parents with Hashem's name. That is the opinion of Reb Meir. However, the Chachom Patron, the Chachomim say that he is exempt. Once again, according to the Chachomim, he would only be liable if he uses one of Hashem's actual names when cursing his parents. Now, cursing one's parents is punished by the death penalty, as long as it has the necessary names of Hashem. In addition to that, it's also forbidden to curse oneself or to curse a different person. However, this is less severe and it's not punished by the death penalty. One who curses himself or somebody else who is not his father using any of these names, even the names which are just referring to Hashem, but it's not Hashem's actual name, he transgresses a Avera. Alright, if somebody says, Hashem should smite you, or if he hears somebody, this comes from a Poskim the Torah, when talking about the terrible things which will happen to the Jewish people if they don't keep the Torah and mitzvahs, or if somebody hears somebody reading that Pasuk, and he says, and so too Hashem should smite you, he hears the person talking about how this will happen to Kali Yisrael, and he says to somebody else, to a particular person, just like it says in the Pasuk, so too Hashem should smite you. Says the Mishnah, This is the classic oath which is written in the Torah, or the classic curse which is written in the Torah, for which one would be liable. Now what happens if somebody, he goes up to the witness, and he doesn't say that I demand a Shavuah from you if you don't give, uh, to, to, to give testimony. And he doesn't say that if you don't give testimony, Hashem should smite you. Rather, he says, if you do come and give testimony for me, al Hashem shouldn't smite you. He shouldn't give you a punishment. Or v'yorechacha, Hashem should bless you, v'yeitavlach. He should do good for you if you don't come, if you do come to testify for me. Reb Meir Mechayev, Reb Meir says that he is liable because there is a rule, we can imply from somebody who says a particular statement, also the opposite. So we imply from here that if you don't come and testify for me, then Hashem should give you a punishment. We don't imply the opposite from that statement. And therefore, all we hear from him is that if he does give testimony, Hashem should bless him. Very nice. He hasn't said anything about if he doesn't give testimony. And therefore, this would not be a Shavuah Sa'edus for which he would be liable. So far, we've discussed three out of four of the Shavuahs which there are in the We've seen a Shavuah Bitui, Shavuah Shav, Shavuah Sa'edus. And this parak discusses Shavuah Sa'pekodoin, a Shavuah regarding a deposit. And a Shavuah Sa'pekodoin is when somebody swears that he has not got in his possession somebody else's item. The reason why it's called Shavuah Sa'pekodoin is because the first example which the Torah gives for a Shavuah Sa'pekodoin is where, let's say, Ruvain gave his item to Shimon for him to look, to look after. He gave it to him as a pikodon, and then when he comes to claim it, Shimon denies having it. However, this doesn't only apply to a case that's like a pikodon, where he was looking after the item. It could be he stole the item. If he then swears that it's not with him, that would also come to the category of a shwasa pikodon. But yeah, so may the parak begins, shwasa pikodon, he hegas banoshim vanoshim. Shwasa pikodon applies both to men and women. Borachoykum vakrovim. It applies whether he is swearing to somebody who is not related to him or who is related to him. But shame of Absulin, it applies to people who are valid witnesses and who are not valid witnesses. Of course, there's no reason why not. It was specifically with this, regarding a Shvasa Eidos, where there needs to be a valid witness. But regarding all of the other Shvuas Midaraisa, they apply to everybody. Now, there is a unique law which the Torah introduces in the laws of Shvasa Eidos, 
that even if the witness doesn't say the Shavuah himself, as soon as the other person who wants him to testify for him, as soon as he demands a Shavuah from him, and all the witness does is he just repeats his false claim, he continues to deny that he is a witness, that itself makes him liable as if he made the Shavuah. Now, we learn from a comparison between Shavuah Edus and Shavuah HaPikodain, that the same applies to Shavuah HaPikodain as well. However, interestingly, although regarding Shavuah Edus, everybody agrees that it's only considered like a Shavuah, and this, this whole idea was introduced only if it's done in front of Beistin. However, regarding Shavuah HaPikodain, we're going to see that according to the Chachomim, even if the owner of the item demands a Shavuah from him outside of Beistin, and he just repeats his false claim, even then he will be liable as if he made the Shavuah. The reason being that regarding Shavuah Eidos, there's significance in the fact that it's in front of Beistin. The whole idea there is giving testimony which needs to be given in Beistin. However, regarding Shavuah Kodain, there's no reason to require Beistin, and therefore, even though we're learning this law from Shavuah Eidos, once it applies to Shavuah Kodain, it applies even outside of Beistin, at least according to the Chachomim. So the Mishnah brings the Machlaikas, if he himself makes the Shavuah, that it, impli- that it applies both in Beistin and not in Beistin. And it should be noted that if he says Omein to the other person's demand for the Shavuah, that's considered to be as if he literally made the Shavuah himself. There you don't need to get to the unique law which is learnt from Shavuah Sa'edos. So in those cases it would be... It would make him liable whether it's done in Basin or not in Basin. However, if it's only that somebody else demanded that he make the Shavuah, and all he did was repeat his false claim, he would only be liable if he makes that false claim inside of Basin. Do you remember that, that is the opinion of a mayor? Because we learn it from Shuasa Eidos. It's not going to be better than Shuasa Eidos. However, whether he himself is making the Shavuah, or whether he's only repeating the false claim after the other person demands the Shavuah, as soon as he makes that false claim again, he'll be liable, even if it's outside of Beistin. Alright, another similarity between Shuasa Eidos and Shuasa Bikodain is even though in general one brings Korbonois for transgressing Averus by mistake, nevertheless, when it comes to Shuasa Bikodain and Shuasa Eidos, it's the exact opposite. The Chayv al one is liable to bring a Korban if he makes a full Shuasa Bikodain on purpose. Or even if it's by mistake to a certain extent. But it's um, it's intentional in terms of the pikodin, the, the item which he's looking after. Meaning, in what way is it by mistake that he didn't know that the punishment for doing this was that he has to bring a korban? But he knew that he was lying, and he knew that it was forbidden to make a full shuvas apikodin. So the main thing was done intentionally. In that case, he would be liable to bring the korban. The But if it's totally by mistake that he genuinely thought that it was not in his possession, then he wouldn't be liable to the korban at all. The main reason why he's liable to the carbon is as a punishment for lying. If he genuinely thought that it wasn't in his possession, it's not even considered to be that he lied by mistake. That's not considered to be lying. He said everything that he knew. For him, that was the truth back then. Alright, what exactly is one liable to do, to bring, if he made the false Shavuot Kodain intentionally? Which is worth at least two silver coins. It's learned from Sukkim that every carbon Asham needs to be worth at least two silver coins. And the Torah says that the punishment is to bring a carbon Asham. But the truth is, the Mishnah doesn't add that he's also liable, obviously, to give back the item which doesn't belong to him. And in addition to that, he has to add on a fifth of the value, a Chaymesh. And it should be noted that he only adds on a fifth 
and he only brings a carbon asham if he admits to having done the Aveira, to having uh, lied. But if witnesses come and he doesn't admit to having lied, then he will not be liable to bring the carbon asham or to add on the Chaymesh. Rather, he'll only just give back the value of that item, or the item itself, if it still exists.